on the court. Yeah, you get mad. Too much. Yeah. Well, my son's playing in a competitive soccer league that's almost a full year round. And the very first game, there was a parent on the sideline, and I couldn't hear what they said, but the ref walked all the way across the field and was like, you can cheer for the game, but if you say another thing about me, you're out of here for the rest of the season. And I was like, wow. And then I'm like, like looking at everybody going, what did he say? What did he say? <laughs> anyway, we are live on Facebook. So good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Wherever you are joining us, this is Dyslexia Coffee Talk. I'm your host, Ashley. We have with us today, Tony Sina. Sina. See, yep. I told you I was going to do it it's wrong. All good. It's all good. <laughs> and Dr. Sean Robinson, dyslexia, or Dr. Dyslexia Dude. I'm like backwards today with okay. everything I'm going to come out of my mouth today. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. Thank you both for joining us. How are you today? good yourself doing good saturday afternoon (laughs) it's a it's a beautiful saturday afternoon in wisconsin it's beautiful and sunny and leaves are coming down very pretty i went outside to try to play with my dogs and they decided to jump in the pool so i came back inside so it seemed pretty but let's talk about what you gentlemen are doing um talk tell me first what college you're both working at um, Ma- Madison College Toys, is that right? Or is it Madison Area Technical College? What's the right terminology? What it's both. Use? It's both. Madison College is the new brand, but we still are technically Madison Area Technical College. Very nice. And together, you're very much focused on adult literacy and numeracy, correct? Yes. We both work in the adult basic education. It's called the School of Academic Advancement, but what we do is developmental and remedial education for adults, including uh, high school completion options for adults. Um, and Sean, I know this is, of course, a passion for you because, I mean, you just gave it an amazing TED Talk a couple of weeks ago where you talked about Dr. Nash and how he helped you and helped move you into college but that was really when you started to learn how to read is because he he was determined to assist you and help you he he knew you were intelligent he knew you were bright he knew you were capable but finally somebody like reached out his hand to you and said here help let me help you yes yes yeah it was big uh you know um just a big pivot i guess in my life at that time and so uh you know i've had a lot of journeys up to this point and a lot of institutions that uh, gave me a lot of resistance when I tried to speak to him about the knowledge that I had about science of reading or certain uh, groups. And everyone just kept like putting their hands in my face, pretty much saying like, I didn't know what I was talking about, or, you know, I wasn't part of a certain class, you know, and certain groups and cult, you know, and so groups. And so um, when I landed at Madison College, it was a, it was a, it was a truly a gift from God. Uh, it was truly everything I've worked for in my life to this point all came together and the stars aligned. You get it? Stars, space, all aligned. Yeah, see. <laughs> so all the, all the, all the stars aligned for, for me. Um, and um, Madison College was the first uh, institution of higher education that provided me a space to do what I know works. Like, no, no questions asked. Um, gave me a, 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 um, 
you know, just, just allow me to disrupt the, the pipeline that exists for not just, you know, adolescents, but as they transition to the higher education to help them become proficient in reading, you know, help them with the job market, labor market, you know, life, just everything. And so um, it's been a, a, a pleasure and an honor to be able to um, serve in that capacity to, to teach, you know, and the course that I designed, you know, really took off this summer uh, with Tony's help, but also with the um, uh, professional development staff. What I did was I took um, Luis Moltz's book and some other books that I'm, I'm really uh, passionate about. And I said to myself, all this information in here, this knowledge that's in here, is usually for teacher education programs and early childhood education, right? But what about the adolescent and adult learners? Why can't they have access to information about diagrams and trigrass and blends and syllable types, you know, and sound structure of our language and linguistics? Like, why can't they have the same access? And so what I did was I just flipped the script and developed a 16-week course, uh, 64-hour course on word analysis um, that's tailored towards not just adolescents, but adult learners. So basically they're getting a professional development that teachers should be getting, but I just made it more accessible for adult learners. So I was like, you know what? It's an it's a, a opportunity to change some lives. Let's get them you know, access to this information and let's keep it moving. And so that's what, that's what we did. Um, and like I said, um, the foundation of the work uh, was not just based on Dr. Nash's work, because uh, he did a lot of, lot of, lot of work, and I took his work and uh, Dr. Moltz's work, and then I took uh, the work of uh, Peter Westward, and I put it all together and developed a, a course that really focuses on the skills that these that these students need to be successful and proficient. Like we spend 50 minutes sometimes analyzing a word. We'll talk about where the stress patterns are at. We'll talk about what type of syllables there are. We'll talk about vowel teams, family, you know, everything. We'll just, you know, we'll just have conversations about words and the light clicks. They're like, wait, wait, this stuff, this stuff is so cool. Like, how come I didn't learn this when I was younger? You know, and just, yeah. again, it's just giving them an opportunity um, and access. I think that's the biggest thing is opportunity and access. Um, you know, most people think of, when they think of me as a doctor dyslexia dude or black males with dyslexia, because no one really gave me opportunity to showcase the gifts that I had, you know, they always argue me. It wasn't, it wasn't a um, randomized control study, or it wasn't this. I uh, wasn't a, qu a quantitative researcher. Like, I don't have time for all that. Like, I let my work speak for itself. And the data that we collect shows progress. It shows success. It's positive. And so, um, I'm keep doing what I, I do humbly and um, keep changing lives till I die. And so, I'm just very very blessed to be able to serve in this, this role. Um, I don't know everything, but I know some things. I know how to teach the science of reading. Uh, I know how to teach students how to read. Um, I tell students, there's only three things that I, I guarantee that will happen to you after you leave this course. Three things, that's it. I don't guarantee much, but get these, I guarantee because it, it happens. One, when you crack the code, you become better at understanding how to decode and encode, you can become more confident. I mean, just, easy right and then from the from the confidence you're gonna become more independent 
It's just simple. I mean, from independence, you're going to be empowered. So it's three things I guarantee students in the end of, end of class. Confidence, independent, and you're empowered. And that's just from what Dr. Nash taught me, really. Um, it's just cracking the code based on know, what we know works, you know, multi-sensory instruction or Gillingham, you know, just really just having conversations about words. And I mean, I don't know if that helps. Tony? Yeah, I just as you were as you were talking, I was just thinking, you know, my background is in, in mostly teaching developmental mathematics. And um, when Sean first came to the college, I sent an email to my dean and said, I want to work with this guy because I have an interest in dyslexia. I have two kids who don't have an official diagnosis of dyslexia, but might have dyslexia. And so there's some stuff going on. But I, you know, so um, I was a, I'm a homeschool dad. I've homeschooled my kids through middle school. So I've taught my kids to read. And I've seen the trajectory that some kids, wow, like, you know, especially my older kids, it seemed to come to them so naturally. It was so easy to teach them to read. And then later down the line, some of my younger kids, it was really hard. And I began to think, I don't think I'm doing anything different, differently. And then I began to think about my students and their experiences and doing some more research about dyslexia and looking at the science of reading and all of that. So Sean came at a time where I had really piqued a personal interest, but also a professional interest in dyslexia. I used to be a middle school teacher, then I moved to teaching at the technical college. Um, and I just know from my experience teaching middle school, um, so much of what Sean talks about is, you know, when you're a sixth grade teacher, you have kids who come to your classroom who uh, are no longer given instruction in reading. They're bright, they're gifted, they're motivated, yet they're stuck. And as a, as a teacher who was trained to teach in the K-12 system, um, my education was whole, you know, woefully absent of the science of reading. You know, I, I was educated in the early 90s. Um, and at that point, um, whole language was the, the most prevalent model. Um, phonics was a sort of small sideline, was a, you know, maybe an hour discussion. Um, and so I wasn't trained to think in those terms. And uh, as, a, as a young teacher really struggled with how do I help these students and I can identify that they don't have those basic phonetic skills to be able to, to read. And there really honestly was not a, lot of, uh, not a lot of help in the school district where I was working to do that. And it was sort of assumed that it, you know, by the time you are at fourth grade, you have learned to read enough. Nobody's gonna give you explicit, explicit reading instruction. And now, now you're going to be given lots of text-based assignments and you'll be fine. You'll get better. Um, and bringing that into the technical college system, I work a lot with high school completion students. So my primary work is with students who have not completed high school. Now that sometimes is just a life situations, right? That people don't finish high school. But a lot of it has to do with learning disabilities, undiagnosed learning disabilities that make you know, as, as by the time kids get to high school, their frustration level is high. They're not able to access um, what's being taught because of their reading disabilities, their reading difficulties. Um, but it's it's also the same with mathematics. And so um, Sean really taught me in the first year of working together. He said, you know, I said, I, I really want to make this math course more accessible. And he said, you're probably already doing a lot of the right things. Look at what you're already doing and doing well. So um, what I began to see as I worked with Sean is that the systematic explicit instruction is what I was already doing well in my math class. And that at the, the more we work together, I see that really the student's path through reading instruction and math instruction is, is very, very similar. 
Um, and as I do more research, uh, you know, the parts of the brain that are being used um, to, to learn mathematics and to learn to read are the same parts of the brain. And uh, I work, I attend on Tuesdays, and, and this is open to the public. There's a website called Math for All, and it's run by uh, Dr. Mahesh Sharma. And his, uh, he's a college math professor, but he has become involved in teacher education. He also works with kids in the K-12 system and teachers in the K-12 system. But he says as a, that the turning point in his career is when he started to learn about uh, how people read and began to see the direct connection with how people learn mathematics. So a lot of the same work um, that Sean is doing in reading and spelling, I'm doing in mathematics and I'm no expert at all. Sean is, you know, a, a well-known expert in, in dyslexia and reading. And I'm just a practitioner um, teaching developmental mathematics, but I'm beginning to see um, these very strong patterns and connections between dyslexia and, and dyscalculia. So, you know, Sean and I have been working together. Um, we share some students in common, um, doing some professional development to get better at that. And as Sean alluded to, the K-12 system has a lot more going on in terms of dyslexia than it does at the post-secondary level. So this is very exciting to work with Sean because we're, we're thinking about, well, what happens to people who get through the system without getting what they need, but still want to go to college? Uh, there really isn't a, a system set up for those folks, really. And, uh, and right now, I kind of see dyscalculia as sort of the, uh, sort of the lesser known uh, brother of um, dyslexia right now dyslexia is getting a lot more press a lot more attention um, and mathematics is a little bit in the background um, so just working to kind of at our college to to have those conversations about both is uh, sort of where we're at right now do you find I mean Sean I would imagine um, you know we do we do hear a lot about you know, kids are going through the K through 12 system, right? And they, you know, a lot of them do get into college and, uh, you know, upon getting into college, they do, many of them do get moved into the remedial courses. And there's a lot of data that shows that the kids that go into the remedial courses actually never finish college. Very small percentage of them do. Do you find that with what you're doing, you have the ability, and I'm not trying to like put you on the spot. <laughs> um, do you feel like it? you could make a change in what that statistic is and have more of those students actually have success? I mean, Sean, and you're a testament to this too, actually complete, not just an undergraduate, but move, you know, move as far through the educational system as they want to. Muted. Yeah, I muted myself. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I, I was having technical problems from space, you know, it just won't allow me to just to speak. Uh, Low oxygen. All right. I, I think, uh, you know, I think for the um, remedial part, as actually Tony and I just had a conversation about this before we got on, you know, so many times at the two year college, it could be also an issue with the four year institution too. Is not just retention, right, issue, but graduation rates too, particularly for students um, either with a diagnosed learning disability or without who come, who are faced with this, you know, adversity. They're taking remedial class before they even get to electives. They kind of already out the game before they got into the game. And then 
they get frustrated and life takes them other places and that's the last time we might see them, right? Or they might come yeah. back a semester or two later. And again, it might take um, another two or three semesters and they've been in school, you know, three years and still can't get over the hump. And then they say, you know what, I'm done. I'm going to do something different. Tony, was that, would that be accurate to, to say to your experience too? Absolutely. And I was going to just say, because you, you brought that topic up, which is an important topic that we talk a lot about at our college. And it's, it's a big conversation in community colleges because those, all of that research indicates that the shorter the path is before people start taking credit courses, the better. Because the longer we remediate, uh, the less likely we, re, we are to retain those students. Um, I heard from, and I keep referencing Dr. Sharma, but um, he said something about a month ago in a webinar, and he talked about what he does, that our goal should be to remediate and accelerate. So he said, you know, we, we really have to do both at the same time. And I think it's especially true for adults, right? We, you know, in mathematics, we might, I might be teaching you how to use exponents, you know, five times five times five is five to the third power. But I need to accelerate and start talking to you about algebra that A times A times A is A to the third power. So we don't stay in remediation. We're looking ahead. What's next? What do we need to do? And um, so after I, I heard that from Dr. Sharma, I called Sean and I said, Sean, I have the phrase that really describes what you do in word analysis is remediate and accelerate. So when students are in his class, they are being remediated yet it is not, doesn't feel like remediation because when he's talking about the history of the language and, and working through all of these you know, complex ideas of what the language looks like, um, students feel um, inspired because it's, it's new and it's interesting and it's tough and it's intellectual. Um, the other person that uh, kind of inspired me to think, and how I thought about Sean's work and trying to think about what I work is, um, Gloria Latson Billings, who is a, she's a professor here in Madison at UW Madison, um, and I listened to a podcast a couple months ago that she was speaking, and she said, um, when when people say to me, "How do I help students of color in my classroom to succeed?" and she said, "You know, people are looking for the secret, like the secret sauce that will make everything work," and her advice was this. Take those students, no matter where they come from, and treat them like they're in an AP course or an honors course. And if you treat everybody like this as an honors course and teach them that way, that's one of the most powerful things that you as a teacher can do. And I think that relates directly to your question, which is, if I'm coming to the college and I know I have poor skills, yet I believe I have the ability to grow and I, to achieve some sort of credential, if you only treat me like a remedial student, then you will deflate me. But if you respect all those parts of me and my dream, um, then I will continue to work hard toward my goal. I, can, I, I know I need remediation. You're not telling me that I, it's something I don't know about myself already. But if we respect where people are, but get them pointed in the right direction. So I think that Sean has done a really good job in his course of creating that, that AP experience, creating that accelerate and remediate experience. You know, uh, one, one thing, every time I talk with Tony, it's like therapy for me. It's therapeutic, you know, it's like counseling, but I don't have to pay him anything or anything, you know. Um, 
one of the things for me, I told Tony before it came on, and this is probably hard for me to say, but I'm going to say it anyways, is that I have sometimes have a hard time talking about the knowledge that I have or I share because look at me, I look different. And every time I try to speak about not just my experience of lived experiences, but my experience of the knowledge that I've gained over the course of my life, and how to how to you know tackle words and analyze words. I've been doing this since I was 18 years old. It's not like I just started yesterday. Like I've been this, I've lived this, you know. And so it's hard sometimes for me to open up about this dyslexia stuff because I get so much pushback from a lot of people in the dyslexia space who don't look like me, right? And so that's why sometimes I just stay in my lane and I don't really talk about this stuff as much. Um, and I'm trying to do more of that, but. You know, um, we're changing lives at Madison College. I don't need permission. I don't need anybody's approval. I don't need to be uh, endorsed by anybody. Um, what we're doing is transformational. In fact, we're the, we're the first, um, I think, two-year college in the state of Wisconsin that has a program specifically for adult learners, um, again, who either have dyslexia or who may think they have some sort of learning disability, right? Mm -hmm. Now... We have high schools. Now we have superintendents of different districts knocking on our door, asking us, hey, we want our students to take this class. We just had uh, a meeting with the Department of Corrections. They want the class too. They want their teachers trained in it too. Um, so uh, I, I'm, I'm not, I don't know everything. You know, I, I, I'm very humble. A lot of things I don't know. I have to consult with people. I had a conversation with Tony, other colleagues, right? Um, but what I do know works, and what I teach, it works. And I, I'm saying it humbly, not confident, I'm not arrogant about it, but it's hard for me to open up about this stuff because for so many years, I would get pushback from researchers. You know, I had a white researcher once email me and told me that he didn't see me as equal. Okay, I mean, wh why you eat? Like, do, do I care? Am I supposed to care? You know, so... Right. What purpose does it serve? Yeah. And, you know, this, you know, and so that's why I try to really stay off of social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook about dyslexia, because I'm always kind of scared or hesitant to put myself out there because I'm not really trying to get into any debate with anybody. I'm not really trying to get into any argument with anybody um, because, you know, we're all in it for the same reasons. I hope. Right. We want to okay. make sure that we change the trajectory, not just of teachers being trained, right, and identification, but we want to change lives. We want to give kids hope. We want to give adult learners who have been failed by the system access. And that's we're giving them access to language. And so um, I'll give you a sneak, a sneak pre pre preview, but so can you see my, my screen? Uh, yes. So I'm not going to go through all of it because, you know, I don't want to give all away, you know, uh, the nuggets. But basically, <laughs> I took Lisa Moses' book and I, I read every chapter in detail. And I was like, you know what? As a dyslexic person myself and wish, what things I wish I would have had as an 18-year-old come out of high school, that's how I framed it. And so I put together um, PowerPoints of every chapter and, and videos and we do blogs and literally the students eat it up. Like I'm talking about, they eat it up. Like they're like, wait, like they they have the you know the aha moment, right? They it just clicks. And so, basically, we really just have conversations about 
per book, each chapter. And people say, well, it's a very complex chapter. You know, those students wouldn't they be able to understand that. You know, that's, that's all lies. If you frame it to a way where students can understand it, they'll catch on. Like, I'm not trying to speak over them or give them information that makes them feel like they're less than or dumb. I'm like, look, you can learn this stuff. Like, if I pull up this PowerPoint here, we're going to talk about the basics of why we study language. And, you know, of course, I quote Louisa Mosley. This is her chapter, right? She wrote this. But I just took things out of it that I felt were relevant, right, to the students we talk about, you know, key, key terms. Uh, I mean, we, we, we go into auditory discrimination. Like, we, we have in-depth conversations about language. Like, they're getting a pretty much a professional development that teachers should be getting, but they're not in the, in the teacher training program. So basically I just made it, I just took the script. I'm like, look, you know, we're gonna, we're going, I'm gonna give, I'm gonna disrupt, disrupt this pipeline right now of the remedial pipeline. And so when they get out after this class, again, they'll have three things, confidence, independent, empowerment because they'll be able to crack the code that's all i'm doing i'm just to sit every, every class we have conversations right we just we 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 go in depth you know talk about mapping we do word knowledge we do word walls we do building words you know that's all we're doing and and then we we also do some multi um sensory activities you know i pull up my doc cam i say hey, what's the first sound you hear what's the second sound you hear what's the third sound you hear what's the fourth sound Okay, after we got through that, let's talk about the syllables, right? Is it open, closed, R control, final E, you know, like, hey, where's the stress? Is it the first syllable, second syllable? Like we, we, we go into conversations like really in depth and they, they, they just gravitate to it. They become motivated, they become inspired. Like they don't see themselves as being, you know, in a remedial class. Like they see themselves, as Tony says, being in the AP, like advanced college course. Think of it, word analysis. What does analysis mean, right? Analyze, study, like, it's not like, you know, we're gonna take, you know, it's called reading 99, right? Because that's like a remedial course. The students like, oh God, no, no. So look, we are going to flip the script at Madison College. Don't, don't need anybody's permission. Don't need anybody's approval, right? What we're doing is not just uh, changing people's lives, but we're changing the script at how two-year colleges could be a vessel for a lot of students, not just adult learners, but students in the high schools that want to transition into a college that has a program specifically designed for their learning needs. Right. All right. I'll, uh, I'll stop now. Sorry, got me hyped. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's no. I'm you know when I've always I've always absolutely loved your passion and you're right and you know it and it's not just our dyslexic children either. I mean you know if you look at the name scores you know it, what is it like sixty four percent of eighth graders are not reading on grade level. Well, if they're not reading on grade level, there's a high chance they're not doing math on grade level either. You know, it's not just our dyslexic children who are being left behind. It's a substantial number of our children who are being left behind. And the ones who are struggling the most into that are, you know, our black and our brown children and our Native American children as well. You know, it's we're we're leaving 
huge chunks of our children behind for no good reason other than, you know, we're just not teaching reading and we're not teaching reading correctly. And if we never teach reading correctly, how are they supposed to ever be able to access the other subjects as well? Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's to me, you know, yes, it's black, brown, American, but it's, 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 it's all God's children. Exactly. I, you know, it could be in the suburban school district. It could be in the, the rural school district, the urban school district. It could be in the, uh, on the reservation. Access is access unless your parents have capital. And if you don't right. have capital, you're left out knocking in and saying, hey, how can I get a piece of this pie? Like, how can I get my child help? How can I, you know, get the search I need for my son or daughter? And, and so um, one of the things that um, Tony and I developed is what's the name of the, the uh, center again? We developed the Learning, Learning Differences Innovation Center. So we're, we're developing this center on campus to, again, provide this type of service to students, but in the long term, provide it for families of, of students enrolled, like maybe they need some tutoring services, maybe they, you know, like we're trying to make it accessible and affordable for families. My, my current course right now for, for enrolled students, I think from Wisconsin, is free. Free. That's free. Perfect. Don't cost nothing. Doesn't cost a penny. All you got to do is show up and do the work. That's it. So, I mean, again, one of my things is I know how hard it was for my, my mother to find a program for me. And she had to pay, you know, money for tutors. And it costs a lot of money, right? You, I mean, it's, it's expensive. So that's why my course, I made it clear. I wanted it to be accessible for everybody who rolls to college has an opportunity. I don't care if they come from a wealthy family, they come from a family with no wealth. Like, no, every person starts at my class at 11. Everything's level. It's, it's equal. Because I want them to have access to this language that's going to empower them to give them hope and then make them, them feel like they can compete in the labor market. They can have a, a voice at the table, you know? And so even our pilot program we had uh, last semester, it wasn't a lot of students, you know, um, five students, you know, we really try to, you know, kick it off. But let me tell you, we did a pre and post test. We used the Sarah test uh, from um, Dr. John Sabatini from University of Memphis, who's uh, a renowned scholar in adult literacy. So we did, we did this test and, but some things really jumped out at, for us the most. One, one of it was that um, the data that we collected um, showed that we made minus gains, but we're moving the right direction. People don't realize modest to these kids or these adults is significant. It's it's game changing. You know, I, I'm not going against, you know, uh, empirical research or, or quantitative research. I'm saying it's different when you're in the community college because for these adult learners, it is significant that they make this type of gain in this short a period of time. Right. We have one one uh, uh, student. She said for her. The greatest accomplishment that she had in this course was reading street signs. Some people might not say that's not significant, right? Research, oh, to that student, it that's was huge. like, it's game changer, right? Yeah. It's, so we, we just, we, we out here just, just, just doing what we know works. Um, and if, if people, you know, want to say that, you know, uh, it's not 
a, you know, appropriate practice or theory, like, hey, they can talk, but we'll let our work speak for themselves. We're going to, you know, let, let our students' testimonies and scores speak for themselves. Like, we've already had um, eight weeks so far. We're in the midpoint of the semester. And I was showing Tony and my dean some of the, the journal entries that students made. And my God, like the, the critical analysis that these students are, are writing, one would expect that from a PhD student or a, a, a teacher in a teacher training program. Like they're just blowing my mind. Like they have grown in eight weeks. Like they have just kind of accelerated and they're kind of just soaring and taking off. And it's not any magic. We're just, we're just giving them access. I'm going to be quiet, Tony. I'm, I'm going to get myself out, coach. You're up. Every nap. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what we were talking about, Sean, is yes, yes, and yes. I mean, and just if you talk to Sean's students about the course, it's, it's the sense of understanding there are these set of rules, and I just didn't have access to those rules. I mean, I think that's the big thing for a lot of students. I was just talking to a friend who teaches at a private, small private school, teaches sixth grade, and she was telling me about a student who came to her who's really struggling with mathematics, and she knows a little bit about the work that we've done. And she said, do you have some, you know, some places to point me to be more, to more helpful to this student? But as they, just saying the word, she said, talking to the parents about this could be dyscalculia. Dyscalculia. Sorry, I say it both ways because you know. We'll say I, I, I say dyscalculia because I can't. I can barely yeah. say it. No, I the jump right around. Way. <laughs> Depends on the day of the week what I say. But she said that, and it, and she said, you know, um, it's a private school. People have, um, you know, good resources at this school. She said, mm -hmm. but the relief that the mother felt to put a name on it, you know, that this kid has struggled for years in private school. So there are so many layers of, of that. Mm -hmm. What I think about in high school completion is when Sean does his work and I do my work and people develop a sense that somebody finally explained the rules to me, you know, um, how to do these things, how to think about these things. There's that just that huge confidence boost, right? Like I'm not stupid. Maybe I've been misunderstood all this time. I haven't been given the tools that I needed. Um, but I always think about what that does, not only for the student, but the student's children and the student's grandchildren. Because I think we have to think about it. it's not just about that student. Everybody's part of a family, part of a community. And when grandma starts talking about this at home and realizing that she has been short shrifted in her life from something that was not given to her, um, that makes a difference for future generations. And I think that's really important for, for Sean for me to keep in mind is this is a multi-generational uh, help. And of course we know that dyslexia is often, you know, you know, there's patterns in families. So again, likely somebody's gonna have a child or a grandchild who has dyslexia, if that person has dyslexia. Um, so that's, that's, that's really important um, to keep that longitudinal view um, in mind. The other thing that I like, Sean was mentioning, and I, I think about something I heard a year or so ago, is that something we have to remember especially those of us who were fast, learned to read quickly or never struggled with mathematics, is that mathematics, words, are technologies. You know, in our modern age, we think about technologies as our devices that we care about. But a technology is any tool that humans developed to accomplish a certain task. 
And mathematics is a tool that we use. Language, written language is a tool. And of course, if you look around the world, we have lots of different ways that people have developed written language to accomplish these tasks. But sometimes we have this view that it's natural, right? Because there's some of us who, you know, we even use that term, natural readers. Yeah. Like, you know, I look at my own kids. I have nine kids. I have some kids who, you know, like a little bit of work. And by the time they were nine, they were reading. And I never talked to them about reading or spelling again, like, except for like a quick conversation. And I have other kids who were in eighth grade before things really started to be able to come together. And that just makes me realize people growing up in the same house that some people were, the technology made sense. And think about every technology. You know, people who can like sit at a computer and figure out everything that's wrong with the computer in five minutes. It doesn't mean I can't do it, but I need to be trained how to be, to how to diagnose a computer problem, right? But for some people, the logic makes sense. So I always try to think about mathematics and the written word. Those are technologies. Some of us, that technology makes sense immediately. For some of us, that technology needs to be learned. And mm -hmm. I think that's what we're doing is having that view. It's like, it's not natural. Not everybody naturally learns language. Not every naturally learns numbers, but we can teach people how to use those technologies, just like we teach people how to use lots of technologies, you know? So I want to, I want to say two things. And the first is to you, Tony, that, you know, learning to read was nothing for me. You know, it was such a simple thing to do. Um, but math never was. And I actually got kicked out of university for failing math twice. And I went to my local community college and it was a teacher like you who unlocked all of math for me with a simple observation about how I learn math. He set me free. And I have an MBA because he set me free. What I do from a career perspective is deeply entrenched in math because I can do any kind of math possible. I can't talk about it with you. I'm extremely visual when it comes to math. And yes, I know there's no such thing as a learning style, but if I can't see it, I can't do it. But, you know, that, that little kid who couldn't do math and struggled all the way through school with math, you know, still, still will, like I was getting ready to send an email a couple of days ago. And there was a very specific audience that the email was going to go to. And I went, I think my math is wrong. I can't send this email. If I send this email, I'm going to get in so much trouble. I had a whole bunch of people check my math <laughs> before I sent the email because I was so insecure about the email that I was going to send that had all, the, all these mathematical equations in them. And I'm like, I, I just, you know, but it was a teacher like you who set me free. And the second thing is, Sean, I'm going to throw some of your words back at you because you said something to me a year ago that I found to be incredible. And this was just you and I talking. It wasn't like over dyslexia coffee talk. It was you and me. And you said something to me that was profound to me from an advocate perspective. And I want to say it back to you because it's what you're doing. You told me that my job was. I couldn't just show people the door. I had to open the door and show them how to walk through the door to the other side. And that's what you're doing with the class. It doesn't matter 
Anything else doesn't matter. It's not that, and you're just not showing people the door. You're opening the door and you're showing people how to walk through it. And that sets them free. And that's everything. Yeah, we're trying. We're trying to push them, th- we're pushing through the door. <laughs> like like uh, Fresh Prince, you know, when uh, his Jesse Jeff got thrown out the front. Woo! Here's a door. No, we just, like you said, we. You're showing all of our ages with that stuff. So. <laughs> hey. Right, you know? so I will tell the younger kids now they do know Fresh Prince because my kids talk about it, even though so it's my apparently come back. <laughs> Good, so I mean, some younger people would know, you know, you don't think what, what Tony's doing, what you're doing, you know, it's all about access, excessive that's all it is. It comes out to access who has it, who controls it, who gets it, right? That's that's all it is. And you know, when Tony was talking about the technology piece, you know, how things like that. The cool thing about my course, it's all online live. So it's not face-to-face. So I have to be creative and think about ways to keep students engaged in an online platform for 16 weeks, right? For four days a week, for, for an hour a day. And, uh, you know, I'm learning. Like, I, again, I, I'm, not, I'm not a king. I'm not God, I'm a human, I make mistakes, but I have to figure out how to keep them engaged in this way. We also realize that if we cut that online access for a lot of students, we will lose a good amount of adult learners who cannot get to campus, right? Yeah, we have technology issues. Okay, hey, big deal, it happens, you know? Students calling from their phone, I say, hey, look, you shouldn't be driving your phone right now, call when you get home, or if you have to miss class, you can miss it. Like, I'm not, you know, going to be upset with that. But the fact that it's online opens the door for a lot more students that have access to this knowledge when they wouldn't get it either in person or anywhere else. So, um, again, we're just we're just trying to change the, the, the game and narrative of, of how adult learners, uh, particularly at Madison College or Wisconsin, are uh, – provided this, you know, information that, you know, should be taught to teachers. But now we got to flip the script and say, okay, what, you know, let's make it uh, accessible for uh, adults and adolescents too. Like now we have high schools that want their students to take the course. And so um, and that's, that's, that's what anybody, you know, will have. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if you caught my, um, if you caught Coffee Talk last weekend, but I was talking to an educator out of Georgia named Sherry Lucas Hall, and she was talking about creating basically literacy centers within the junior high, high school space to do exactly what it is that you're learning. Because, you know, the the problem from our perspective as advocates is, you know, in the K through 12 system, the only period where you have to remediate a kid is in elementary school, because that's where you've got the most malleable time if you will, to be able to manipulate a student's schedule and they've got a block where you can actually have the even the possible chance of having enough time to do fidelity with whatever program it is that you're working with. But you get to junior high and high school and all of that is gone. You know, and if you try to do something like that, then you're taking away a student's elective. And the elective may be the only thing that's keeping the kid going through school. 
you know? So, I mean, she, she was really passionate about, and we had a good exchange about, you know, having these literacy centers within school districts for these particular students who are really struggling because if they can't read the rest of the curriculum, doesn't matter. You know, you're still leaving the kid behind. You're just shoving them through the system. There's a, there's a profound difference. So, but I did, I did want to ask, and um, I, I realize in asking the question that this is, there's a good chance you don't know the answer to this, but are you aware of anybody else doing this in any other colleges across the country? Like what y'all are doing? No, we, we, we've talked to some, uh, I can't say 100%, but the conversations we've had with uh, researchers that focus on adult literacy, uh, particularly in this space, have uh, written to us, and Tony can jump in too, is that we are the currently the the only two-year institution or one of very, very, very few in the country doing this work. So we are trying to lead by example. Like, you know, like I said, other institutions, you know, not to take jabs at them, but, you know, they, they told me, Sean, you don't know what you're talking about. Your ideas are not relevant, you know? And so I'm a, I was up against a different system. Um, you know, um, and so when Madison College gave an opportunity, I ran with it. I just took off and I ran, like Olympics. Just took it, baton, and ran. And I'm not looking back. And I'm not going to allow anybody to um, stop uh, the, the progress that we've been making. And, uh, you know, we have support all the way from the top down, from the president, the provost, our dean, our chair. Like, everyone is behind this this like it's going to move it's moving you know we our marketing department they're doing another video for us a marketing video you know stewards voices as a recruitment tool like we're gonna we're gonna change lives and you know one day yes i will write about this stuff in a, a peer review journal i will publish it right but right now that's not my life right now i just want to be able to help these these young adults crack the code give them access get them through the door continue collecting data and one day I write about it. I don't know if it's going to be a, a book, book chapter, a peer review article. But right now, uh, my, my main main mission is just to give these students uh, access. And really, you know, one of the very few people outside of uh, Madison College and this dyslexia space in Wisconsin um, is Katie from uh, Dakota Wood, uh, Dakota Dyslexia from Wisconsin, right? She's been phenomenal support, like, one of the only ones in Wisconsin that supports this work. Like she, she's a great ally, great advocate, uh, great colleague, great friend. Like, you know, um, so, you know, we have people that, you know, are, are a part of this movement and we don't want people jumping in when we get to the promised land. Like, no, no, no. If you're not in it right now, then don't try to take credit. You know, when, when we, when we move, make progress and we get these things off the running, uh, because like I said, we have high schools interested. We have the prison system interested. Um, we're going to make change. You know, yeah. before I die on this earth, before I leave, I'm going to make change, period. Uh, and uh, I'm very blessed and honored to have Tony. You know, like I say, he's a brother from another mother, right? Like he's been uh, very patient and his leadership skills too, uh, being in the tech college and the space he's been in. You know, he knows how to uh, move around things and make things happen. And, you know, uh, even him being in high school completion 
opens the door for another population of students to be served, right? So a lot of the students who are at high school completion are getting funneled into this course too, because a lot of them have a learning disability and a lot of them haven't had the access to this type of instruction at an earlier age. So, um, you know, that's um, it. Coachina, I'm done, man. But you were talking about your friend with this, trying to find space in middle school for people you know, to, to have this access. And Sean and I have the same issues of the technical college system, right? Because our systems are built without this in mind. Right. So that's been our struggle is to find the right place for it to fit. Nobody disagrees that there's a need for it. You know, everybody knows there's a need and it's a need most people didn't think about at our college before Sean entered the conversation. Um, and then we also said, wait a minute, you know, if one out of five people um, have dyslexia, Yet, and we know from a research standpoint and from sort of the historic history of it is that the science of reading, explicit systematic instruction works. That's what we know works, yet are we doing that? So at very minimum, we might look at our conscience as one out of five. When we look at high school completion, I would say it's probably two or three out of five. You know, that, you know, so this spring, this coming spring, we're, we're talking about doing some uh, a, a broader uh, testing with this Sarah testing that that um, Sean uses, because we need to get a handle on how many people are we really talking about, you know, because we don't really with adults and with middle schools, we don't talk about decoding and encoding, right? We talk about can you read it or can you not read it? But, you know, what we know, and this is all from Sean, is we know more about it than can you read or not, right? And then we look at the five components of reading that Sean talks about with the Sarah testing. So it really has changed the conversation. You know, I've been teaching the technical college system for a long time. Been teaching and just came out of the K-12 system. We just don't talk about it at the middle, high school and community college or university level. It's a non-conversation. And when you think, you know, I was at a webinar the other day listening in um, and Sean was the speaker there. And there was another panelist who said, um, is this just an American thing? Like we think 70% is good enough? You know what I mean? Like 70% of the, you know, I mean, really, like when you think about that, just like, you know, you're from business perspective as an MBA, if you think like only 70% of my, my customers are satisfied, like we should be thinking about, well, what about the other 30%? Why aren't they satisfied? What's it, you know? So it really is like a crazy system that we built that it's like we have accepted a certain amount of failure in the system. It's just sort of normal. Yet those people's lives become sort of collateral damage um, what, because we don't really address their needs. And I think that's- and not what, only is it not, and not only is it normal, it's their fault. Right, right. It's, you know, <laughs> right. It's some, you know, I mean, I, I don't know, I've been doing some reading, just looking at like, you know, and I think Sean maybe brought it to my attention is like when we, even when we say things like, well, you know, students don't read, their parents don't read at home. There's not enough written material at home. That's why students, um, these, so then it becomes a way to dismiss. And then I think about the house I grew up in, my dad read the newspaper every day, but we had one book. We had um, the the fables, the Mother Goose book. Was, <laughs> we didn't own any books in our house, you know, yet we all became readers and went to college. So I was like, well, that isn't really the reason. It doesn't have to be the reason people can't read is because there aren't books in their homes. Because I didn't, you know, we had the Bible, we had the Mother Goose book and the newspaper. That's Those are the books we had in our house. Right. So, um, but I think... That, that's what I appreciate about what Sean has brought to the conversation. And you might notice I keep writing things down because every time I talk to Sean, I'm jotting my notes to myself, uh, to-do list. 
because as I work, so my work in, in addition to teaching mathematics is kind of navigating our system at our college um, and connecting Sean with the right people. Talk, keep talking to people about what this looks like. Cause I think for most people, it's not even part of the, of what people think about it. even really dedicated educators at the post-secondary level. They're not thinking about these issues and, and Sean keeps ringing that bell so that we have to keep thinking about it. Yeah. And I want to, and I want to challenge the 70% statistic too, because it's, you know, what we know from the NAEP scores is it's more like only really 30% of kids are getting through school, knowing what they K through 12, knowing allegedly what they need to know. We don't know that for sure, but we know that, you know, the rest of them though, if the, if they get a diploma, they're, they were more than probably, I mean, more than likely they were just handed a diploma in order to move them out of the system and no real value within their education was there. But Sean, I interrupted you. Oh, you're good. You're good. You're good. It's your, it's your show. I'm just on your show, coach. Just you. <laughs> but I want to hear what you were going to say. <laughs> uh, I forgot now. Yeah. So I do have a question for you, though. So, um, Sean, I know you really know a ton about the science of reading and Matt and Tony, you're talking about the math portion. And Sean, I know that you know that I'm becoming hyper vigilant about the dysgraphia space and writing is not the same thing as as reading. They both have to be explicitly taught systematically as well. Are you offering writing? Are you developing a course for writing? Are you looking for somebody to create that like third complement to go with what seems to be a pretty dynamic duo between the two of you? Um, two things. Let, let me uh, let me do. Uh, so with these these classes here, you know, word analysis and math. I don't. Let me let me slow myself down here. I can write, but I don't know how to teach writing. That makes sense? Yes. Yes. And so I don't, I don't ever want to come off to say I'm an expert in writing when I don't know how to teach writing. So I want to make that, I don't care if it's recorded or not. Like I'm, I'm very humble. Like I know my, my limitations. I'm okay with that. Tony and I had this conversation before is that how can we connect all these components together to help the students like how can they take this word analysis course with the math course with a solid writing course that gives them the skills to become a better writer right and so um i, I don't know if i can answer that question for you we're, we're, we're always thinking about things like thinking about how to make change and um mm -hmm. uh, you know one of the big things in the word analysis course is that you know, we, we focus heavily on spelling right now. Like That's it's, huge. It's spelling. But Tony, <laughs> Tony can tell you, like, the, the first 10 weeks, we focus just on spelling. Because if you can spell it, you can do what? You, you can, can write read it. it. You can write and read it, right? Yeah. But, but reading it doesn't guarantee, guarantee you, can do, you can do what? Spell it or maybe write it. So we just focus on spelling the way Dr. Nash taught me which helped me become a better writer. But again, I'm not an expert in writing. And I don't want to come off uh, pretending I am either on social media or interview or anywhere because that's not my, 
my expertise. Right. So um, we're trying to pull in any uh, person from English that can department, you know, literature that could really help uh, with with that writing. Tony, would that be fair or? Um, it, just what I would have said, Sean. Yeah, that yes, we are interested in it. It's not something we've explored. It's something we've talked about because right now we're really deep into finding our place, which is not, you know, even when people acknowledge, yes, what you do is important, but finding a place in is often the structure, you know, that's the thing at any institution, it's often the structure that limits what you can do. And so that's a big piece of my role with the Learning Differences Innovation Center is looking at the structure, poking at the structure and the people in the structure to find out where we fit. Because I'm 100% convinced that what we do is important, but um, just my experience in mathematics, right? It's like a lot of what we do in mathematics and remedial developmental mathematics is we repeat what somebody should have learned in sixth grade. And we often just use the same methods people would have learned in sixth grade. So we shouldn't be surprised that we get the same results when we just teach it the same way. So um, something that I found really useful and I, I think that it fits in this conversation, again, I'm, I'm quoting Dr. Sharma because he's really influenced me in the last few months. And in mathematics, he's, he talks about these sort of the three pieces of becoming mathematically literate is that there's the language, right? Like that language creates the, ske the schema for us to be able to think. So the linguistics is, are very important. Then there are the concepts, there are the procedures. So those three things together, when they're integrated, and this is his, these are his words, when they're integrated, they become a skill. So we often teach those disconnected from each other, or we focus a lot on procedural knowledge in mathematics and a little bit on concept, like here's a five minute concept. Now we're gonna jump to procedure and we're just gonna practice procedure, 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 procedure. But without all three pieces of that stool that doesn't sit right. So I think that's what we keep working with at this point is like, where do we fit? Um, and Sean has done a great job of connecting us with Dr. Um, John Sabatini, because it's about, first of all, finding good assessments, the tools we use at post-secondary to place people. I'm not gonna name them because I don't want somebody from that company to come back and give me a hard time. But um, you know, generally those placement tools and there are a number of placement tools are not great at giving us very specific information, especially for people who are at the lower end. And so what we're doing right now is talking about using the Sarah test more because people who have low reading scores have un, can have a number of different issues. Dyslexia is only one of them. And so we have to know more. We can't just automatically lump anybody who's a low reader or somebody who's struggling with mathematics in the same group and that better assessments help us. Um, last week through um, Sean's work, I was connected with a researcher in Finland who has developed a dyscalculia screener and they have an English version already. And so, uh, Dr. Sabatini and I are going to both in January, we're going to pilot using this dyslexia screener um, in our courses. Um, and so it's the first time to be used in, in the US. Um, but what was really interesting when I was talking to this Finnish researcher is that, so in Finland, as they developed this assessment, they also developed this assessment and connected to the curricular materials. So that Finnish teachers have availed, you know, like, to teach this concept that's tested on this battery of tests, use these curriculum materials. 
right now, you know, a lot of what happens in the United States, we get these tests, we get numbers and results, but it's not connected to what do we do next? Like, how do we fix that? How do we, how do we specifically fix that student's um, deficiencies? And I think that's part of what Sean has done well, you know, and really trying to link the, the Sarah test with the kinds of instruction he gives. So I think there's a lot of exciting, exciting work. And I think part of it will be for dysgraphia is good assessment. So we know, is it just a lack of experience? This is why this person is struggling with writing or is it dysgraphia or is it both? So right. good assessments that are connected to instruction are very important. Right. Yeah, you know, and of course, as William Van Cleve said, you know, some, sometimes they're diagnosed with dysgraphia when they just haven't been taught. But Sean, please. Yeah. No, I was saying with the Sarah test, like, so the students take it, you know, pre-test, they take it plus the end of the semester. I have access to the students' like scores, but I haven't looked at any of the scores at all. Nothing. I don't look at them because for me, I want to be able to teach what I know. I don't want to teach to what, what they show me on the test. And so me, I'm curious of how they develop over the course of 16 weeks. If some don't make any progress, then I have to look in the mirror and say, what am I doing wrong? And how do I change myself to deliver this information to the student that can retain it? So for me, I love the Sarah test because it gives us accurate information right then, like when they finish, like automatically, it gives us everything about the student's profile. And so, um, it's just really, really helpful to have, as Tony alluded to you too, is having that assessment to help us um, collect data to really just justify what we're doing is, is key. And uh, um, John was a gift from heaven because it's really, it's helping us change the narrative and be at the forefront of dyslexia, reading instruction, science of reading, however you want to frame it, uh, for adult learners at a two-year institution. Uh, we're we're going to make change. I mean, we're making change. It's just, you know, uh, we're going to keep, you know, like the train. Choo-choo! Choo-choo! <laughs> so I, I have to ask the question because through the Dyslexia Initiative, we do, we are frequently asked what is available for adult, adult learners. Um. Do they have to live in Wisconsin to take your course? You, Sean, you said yours was over Zoom. Tony, I'm assuming yours is not, or yours is over Zoom as well. I'm not sure. Um, yes, good. But do I mean, they have to live in Wisconsin? No, I think it's got to be. I think they have to be enrolled in the institution. Is that right, Tony? Mm -hmm. So as long yeah. as they're enrolled in the institution, my class is free to them. Free. But I'm actually going to take that back. I'm not sure if it's free if they're not from the state of Wisconsin. Is that right, Tony? You know, that's a question that we have to ask enrollment. See, yeah, I don't know that always question. with the list every time. Yes. Sean <laughs> I want to I I take that. Yes, yeah. if they're enrolled, they have access to the course. However, yeah. if they're not a, um, live in the state of Wisconsin, I'm not sure what the price difference is, you know, because sometimes it's different right. from state yeah. to state. So, but yes, they're enrolled, they can take it. So, like, I don't care if you're from Nebraska, Texas, California. If you want to enroll in Madison College, take the course, you're free to come take it. So, um, and, and Dr. Robinson said that from the proceeds of his book, he will pay for any enrollment costs for anybody. 
from outside of Wisconsin. So it's still free. Yeah, I, I will actually, and, and Ashley, I can actually get back to you with that. I'll do some work and find that out because that's a good question, especially because it's not a credit course. It's it's right now offered as a free developmental course. Um, and, you know, credit course you're paying for. So that's a little bit different. So I'll, I'll do a little work on that because it's a good okay. question. And we're, that, we're also, oh. No, I was just going to say that would be great because then I could list that as a resource on our website, but I could, as we get the question, I could also direct people to your course. Right. Yeah, one of the things too that we're working on, and it might take some time, nothing happens overnight, Rome wasn't built in a day, right, is um, how, I'm always pushing for this, like I'm, I'm, I'm always pushing for it, I'm pushing until the I, I, day I die, if, it doesn't, if it's not pushed, is how can we make this course of credit for students because credit changes the game completely for students, right? right. Completely. They invest it in their education, but also they get return of a credit versus not having a credit. Like, why am I investing in this course? If I'm not getting the credit. Like, why do I need to invest in it? It's free. So um, again, if we get this become a credit course, a 16 week, uh, 64 hour course, it's going to change the game completely at a two-year institution. It's going to, it's going to change um, how, you know, uh, remedial education is, is framed, right? From the deficit to acceleration and just, just change, change how, um, again, all we've got to access, 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 access. Yeah. And access, showing them through the door is empowerment. Like the first prince. <laughs> so before we wrap up sean book number three. Oh, what about it <laughs> tell us about it is uh, it out is it coming out is it i know that this is your big month yeah it's, it, yeah it's it's out but it's not it's not available for print yet we've had some delay with the with the printing company uh but hopefully this week it'll be um, available um we, we've added uh, three new characters. Um, uh, you know what? I'm going to do this. I uh, usually don't do this, but since you asked, I'm going to do this just for you. Just Thank give you. Me, give me a second. <laughs> and I heard that he's working on book four, which is Dr. Desculier. Um, and I was about to ask Tony, are you are you going to make an appearance in Doctor Dyslexia, dude? <laughs> so Sean's going to put the cool in this cool this cool cool with the fourth book. All right, let me. Uh, you all keep talking. Let me let me just. Uh, <laughs> no, I got I got to go to my email real quick and pull it up. Actually, I wanted so Ashley, I did put in the chat, and I, I don't know if you shared that with people, but um, mathematics for all is a really good website that I would encourage people to, to check out. I'd also encourage people to check out um, dyscalcula.org. Um, Renee Newman runs that. She is, uh, she has dyscalcula. She went through college, um, didn't really identify until she was in college why she was struggling with mathematics. So she is a, a dyscalcula um, tutor out of Michigan, but she has a fantastic website. The only problem with the website, and Renee, if you're listening to me, it's a good problem, is there's so much information. Like it is, it, she is just an incredible resource gatherer and has just so many. In fact, I mean, including, you know, people who are going to college and looking at what are options if I have dyscalculia, 
um, op options for waiving, options for courses, ways to get around courses that may really be something that a person really struggles with. So um, just, you know, K through graduate school kind of information there. So she's really good, a great resource. I really recommend people look at that. And I've spent a lot of time on that website and learned a lot from that. You know, Renee? I do. We chat once in a while on the phone and she has worked on a little consulting work as I was getting into this work and she helped me out. So hook me up and I'll ask her to come on. Oh, okay. I will. <laughs> yes, she would be wonderful. I will. I will send adding it to my list. I will contact Renee. Um, and you will enjoy her very much. She's very, very knowledgeable. Thanks. I'm booking the spring now. So okay, good. I will I'll send her a text and get her connected. Okay. Yay me. <laughs> and somebody did say, yes, please put the cool in dyscalculia. <laughs> <laughs> Sean will have to do that. We just I'm need to sorry. put the cool back in math. Yes. Well, there we go. Ooh. All right. I'm, I'm going to give you a sneak preek. That's it. I can't, I can't say too much, but we've, we've added three new characters. Um, as you can see, they have unique names. Right, and their names speak to their powers. Yeah, uh, speak to what they they teach. Um, so you can you can see the names here. Um, but I'm only gonna give you a little bit. Um, should be out, and it's this book is more for probably elementary school kids, middle school. It's a Dakota text where they can be learning about word families, but it's all through a culturally responsive lens, where. Um, a lot of the content is uh, rhyming, rapping, onset, you know, but uh, we made it where it's, it's, it's like a rap battle, right? They're, they're actually um, having a battle using words. So uh, it should, it just should be uh, available this week. Uh, this one uh, is $9 and 95 cents. Um, and then also too, um, we have a 88 page coloring book coming out next week too. Nice. So it's um, it's a doctor dyslexia dude um, volumes one, two, and three all together in one, with all the content taken out, where students can write their own stories, their own their own uh, storyboards using the the artwork from all three uh, uh, graphic novels, and so it's a coloring book slash also. You know, storyboard where students can write their own their own story, their own narrative. Uh, so, um, yeah, that's amazing. So amazing. Only for you, actually, I'll show you. Well, thank you. Well, but I'm also not surprised. It's amazing. I just, you know, I'm going to say that too. Okay. <laughs> but somehow was able we're able to use the the name Orville. You know, um, just don't see a lot of Orvilles around anymore. So <laughs> bringing it back. That's the thing about um, my wife and I will want to do, I know we're not talking about adults now, but just talking about students in general, particularly in special education who have dyslexia, who don't have dyslexia. We want to let them know that they can be creative. Like the mind is a very powerful tool. And once they know how to use it to their advantage, they can do anything they want to do. It just takes the opportunity. And so my wife and I, in this book, she really took a lot of time to think, like my wife, I give her all the credit for this book. Like she all, she spent a lot of time thinking about how to make it 
really relatable for young students, right? And then we talked about how we can put the science of reading a little bit, work families in there to tie it in together. You know, look, this, this book is not a tool to be used to teach the science of reading, right? This book is a tool to help students get engaged with reading, right? To open their minds to imagination to read, understand the possibilities of what they can accomplish by learning to read or developing word families and having conversations about words and just, just the imagination from, you know, uh, having no engagement to being self-empowered through literature. And so that's all we try to do is just really find a way to, to empower students through literature, particularly, I mean, all kids, like all kids, right? Like, but then kids with dyslexia, but then kids who look like me, like, I'm gonna say it, like, I don't even care. Like, we want to make sure that kids with dyslexia saw themselves as being successful and have hope. Then we want to make sure that kids who look like me knew there was a way out, that special education is not the end all. Like, you know, with, with the right support services, the right instruction, the right identification, you are capable of doing anything you want to do to put your mind to it. Like you just gotta stay focused and you just gotta keep moving. Like a little train, choo, 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 choo. That's twice this. You just gotta keep moving. And that's why my wife wrote these books is that we just wanted to allow kids to see themselves in a different perspective. You know, not a, not a deficit, you know, not, you know, a narrative that's always talked about, particularly for black and brown students, you know, what they can't do and, and why they're not in, in uh, you know, culture responsive texts. And my wife's like, you know what? We're going to flip the script. So uh, that's why we wrote this, this book. Uh, we hope it, it, it touches people. Uh, we're just trying to do good on this earth before we die. I mean, that's it. You know, it's the end of the day. We're all going to die. I'm going to die. Um, don't know when. Um, don't know how. But I'm going to Hopefully a long earth. time from now. So, Peacefully. Um, yeah. so, <laughs> Sean, we, we, I, I thought that was one of the rules of interviews. You weren't supposed to talk about death at the end of an interview. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm just saying, man. I'm just, I'm just trying to say. I don't know. My, I don't know when my time is going to be up. And for me, I want to be of service. I want to be of service to humanity. I want to make sure what Tony and I are doing changes the trajectory of not just higher education, but two institutions for students. We've also talked about how we can train teachers at the tech college, right? Community college to get them into the, the job market faster, right? Than a four-year institution, give them the skills, the trade to get out and be marketable. I mean, and then with the kids book. So I'm just trying to do change. I'm, I'm around good people, got good spirits. That's why I told you before, earlier in, in the interview, it's hard for me to talk about dyslexia or talk about the science of reading publicly because a lot of times I just get pushback. I get pushed back and I don't, I'm not here to debate or justify myself or look for, you know, the approval of the gatekeeper. So I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing because it works. It's not man-made. I just wake up one day and say, Hey, I'm going to develop this program. No, it's been here longer than I've been alive. Like Dr. Nash started this in 1979. The man studied 30 years of his life in dictionary. He was going to Orton Society meetings and giving presentations. They were telling him that he was ahead of his time and his methodology and his instructional approaches. So I'm just taking the work that he taught me, he trained me on when I was 18, 
trained me on when I was an undergrad, a master's, and PhD student. He trained me for all those years when I was in school, 18 plus years. I, I, I studied under him. I learned under him. I have books that he has from the 70s, uh, 80s that Dr. Moltz references in her in her book, Speaks to Print. So I'm just doing what I know, and I don't need a justification. I'm going to do it, and I love what I do. And Coach Cena, I'm out, man. It's nap time. No more choo-choo. <laughs> choo-choo. No, no Three times. That That's an all-time record, I think, for a presentation now. Uh, this, yeah. <laughs> no. They like, you like in his TED talk. Did you see in the TED talk? He got he had a choo choo in there. Um, so, so I watched the TED talk. I don't remember the choo choo. Now I'm gonna have to go back and watch it. <laughs> he made it almost all the way through, like about ten minutes, because that's what I. Whenever I listen to Sean pre-recorded, I'm always waiting to hear is a choo choo gonna come up. And uh, it was about ten minutes in, if I remember correctly, and I was like, ah, I knew he was gonna do it. So hey, you, you know what? Like life, life is too short. <laughs> <laughs> we, we don't know when our time's going to come. So, you know, for me, I'm going to enjoy my life. I'm going to live my best life. Amen. And I'm going to give the knowledge that I've learned throughout my, my navigating this space that I designed for students with dyslexia. It'd be selfish of me to keep this knowledge to myself and say, nan, nan, boo, boo. It's all mine. You can't have any. But for me, I'm rich. Maybe not financially. But I'm rich spiritually because I get to change lives every day I wake up and teach kid, teach adults how to read and how to crack the code. So I'm rich. I'm blessed, man. I'm happy, man. I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm See, I'm in the Bahamas right now. I was in space. But you I came were. Right you, came, you came down. Yeah. <laughs> My ego was too big. I had to come down, you know, a little bit. By the way, I added your TED Talk to our website and on our list of our favorite videos and recordings. All right, I'll pay you later for that. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> I think she's going to ask for a free book, Sean. I'll give her a free book, man. I don't mind giving her a free book, man. That's cool. I don't mind. Well, you gave me book one and two, so now I just need three. And the coloring book. <laughs> so I can hold them up and show people. But um, 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 I'm kind of kicking myself because I feel like we should have taken a bet before we went live about how long we were going to go. Because I think, Sean, you said... Yeah, Maybe no, an hour, more like 45 minutes. <laughs> I'll talk. And I knew, I knew in my heart. <laughs> I knew it. And I'm glad. It's perfect. It's beautiful. Um, but I'm going to let Sean lay on that beach with his family and take a nap and, you know, play football. And Tony, I'm going to let you go play with your kids. And I'm going to go um, keep studying dyscalculia because that's what I, or not dyscalculia, dysgraphia, because that's what I need to be doing. So. <laughs> hey, before we, well, actually, sorry. Before we leave, yeah. can you two repeat after me, please? Mm -hmm. Tony, you got to repeat after me, man. Choo-choo. No, no choo-choos, man. I'm oh, done okay, with choo-choos. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> so the, the work that we're all doing, Ashley, and Tony, I want to say the first word, help. 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 We're helping people. We're giving them, and they're helping us too. It's reciprocal, right? Mm -hmm. By helping them, we're giving them opportunity. So let's say, say opportunity with passion. Opportunity. opportunity. Tony, that was weak, man. You still that <laughs> one. Now, after that, I want you to say progress. 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 And empowerment. Empowerment. And empowerment. What's, that, what's that spell? Everything. What's the acronym for that? 
Hope. hope. There we go. Hope. You got to have hope. You got to have hope. You got to keep hope. If you don't have hope, what you living for? You got to have hope. Got to have hope. That's right. Hope. Absolutely. Well, we're going to end on that beautiful note. Thank you both so much. This is awesome. Tony, you've got a to-do list you got to go do. So. <laughs> and I'll get back to you about those things that I, I said I promised to send. Awesome. Thanks, Ashley. Thank you. Thank I, you. Nice, you know, nice to meet you. Nice and, to meet you. Yes, I did listen to another of your podcasts before, and I will I'm, I will follow up. I'd like to know more about your dysgraphia research, and maybe you could point me in the direction of some good places to do some learning. Because I'm not an expert at all, but I'm interested in just starting to hear more about what that might look like. Uh, that's the world that I'm embroiled in because my son, his comprehension, he's in seventh grade, his comprehension's at a ninth grade level, but his written expression is at a first grade level. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's a challenge we, we, now because we, he's in we junior high. can probably high. compare notes because I have a fourth, I have a 14-year-old freshman who's probably right there you know, and dysgraphia is, has not been officially diagnosed, but the pun intended writings on the wall, um, what's really going on there. So I I would like to hear more and know more. Definitely. Well, we've got each other's emails. So, and we've got Sean who can always. I'm out. I'm out. I'm done. I'm out. I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, with with there, I'm going to end our live stream. So thank you both so much. This has been amazing. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good day. Have an awesome day. And we're off. You're still recording, though. No. no. Am I? Yeah. Uh Oh. I think you're recording in Zoom right now. Yeah.